Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome love. to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Valerie Hudson, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good, good. Glad to have you on. I know who you are, and I, I know some of my listeners are going to know your background, but if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing just a little bit of your credentials uh, so that people can kind of get a feel for uh, for your your uh, scholarship, your your studies, and some of the things you've done. Yeah, I'm currently a, uh, a professor, and I hold the George H.W. Bush Chair in International Affairs at the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M. Before um, coming to Texas A&M, um, I spent a quarter century at Brigham Young University as a professor of political science there. Uh, and for eight years, I ran the graduate program in the David M. Kennedy Center for International Affairs. Um I, my research foci are foreign policy analysis, national security policy, uh, and I also do quite a lot of work in the area of feminist security studies that is looking at the intersection of gender and international relations. Um, I am a founder of the Women's Stats Project. Uh, the project, in addition to its research, Agenda. Also, uh, we have a database, which is the largest online database uh, about the situation of women worldwide that exists anywhere. And uh, I've, in addition to my writings on, say, abnormal sex ratios in China and India and how those affect national security, uh, and our first women's stats book is called Sex and World Peace, put out by Columbia University Press last year. I'm currently finalizing a manuscript called The Hillary Doctrine, which looks at American foreign policy's new emphasis on women. And that will be coming out probably the end of next year, uh, again from Columbia University Press. I've also, awesome. yeah, I've dipped my toe into um, Mormon feminism, of course. Uh, and so um, 
I've co-written a book called Women in Eternity, Women of Zion that looks at uh, LDS doctrine concerning women. And I also have pieces that are up on the Internet as well. That's incredible. It, it's great to have you on, and I hope that we can kind of cover just a, maybe a handful of issues and get some thoughts from you on, on your point of view. I, I wonder if you might start us off, maybe, you, you were born in the church, correct? No, no. I'm... No, you're a convert. How old were you when you converted to the church? Well, you know, my conversion process took uh, 13 years, so I was baptized when I was 13, but I really can't say that um, I was a fully committed Orthodox member of the church until about 13 years after that, when I was 26. So my conversion process was long and drawn out. Now, were you the only member of your family to join, or did your parents join, or what's your story? My mother and brother um, were all baptized at the same time. It was my mother's idea. It was not my idea to get baptized, but since we were small, we didn't have much say in the matter. And um, my brother is not active in the church. Um, my mother um, was, well, you know, my mother was a victim of mental illness. And so, um, however, near the end of her life, uh, she did finally go to the temple and took out her endowment. And uh, when we buried her, she was wearing her temple clothes. So uh, in a sense, I guess uh, she came uh, full circle. I'm glad you shared all that. I, I think each of us have an interesting story, and, and those stories are what give us the background of our experiences and help us to, to maybe see the world through the lens that we do. I... Uh, just maybe thinking about it this way, growing up, obviously, uh, from the point of the age of 13, being in the church, really getting active maybe at the point of being at the age of 26, did you have early issues with your faith that kind of <laughs> rounded out your view? Or I, I want I'll, Here's the thing. Valerie, your, your perspective, I think, is very rich and deep. And I see a lot of members who see things very simple, very uh, naive, and not as nuanced or complex as what life really is. And you have that view. What were some things that happened in your experiences in the church that helped you grasp that complex view that's in the church? That's an interesting way to phrase the question. I'm not sure I totally buy into it. Number one, I've I've never really met a person who, upon getting to know them better, doesn't understand that life is complicated. You know, they may say so in the comments section of the Deseret News or the Salt Lake Tribune. You know, they may act like everything is very simplistic. And they may certainly judge others in a simplistic way. But I think anyone who's been in mortal life knows that it's, uh, you know, it doesn't look like... <laughs> You know, one of those Book of Mormon readers, you know, uh, it right. just doesn't look that way. So I love that answer. Um, uh, you know, my my own situation uh, in in probably uh, is a little bit different from yours, which is that, um, you know, I came from very worldly background uh, and, um, uh, you know, I grew up back east around the D.C. area. And I, I, um, I used to be angry at God that he let me be born into a, a pretty dysfunctional family and, you know, outside of the church and so forth and so on. Um, but the older I get, the more I realize that that was kind of a blessing because I think where some of the faith crises in the church come from are bizarre teachings and strange folk understandings about the gospel or um, gender role assumptions that are sort of bred into people when they're very little. Um, and and so I, I think I was spared um, faith crises that had to do with some of that. 
Uh, and so, um, uh, on the other hand, my struggle was actually, you know, to believe in the church. I mean, I was baptized at 13. That was not my choice. Um, but uh, through a series of very strange circumstances, I ended up at BYU for my undergraduate degree. And I didn't consider myself a Mormon. And so uh, I'd lived all my life on the East Coast <laughs> and ended up in Utah, not considering myself a Mormon, really. Uh, and it was the hugest culture shock uh, you can possibly imagine. Um, and uh, it took me a, a really long time to decide that um, I really did believe in the Mormon church. I think the culture shock nearly nearly did me in. Um, but um, eventually, you know, I think uh, it was really with the birth of my first child um, that I realized uh, that the gospel was true. And I realized that wickedness never was happiness and that if I wanted happiness, um, the path had been laid at my feet and I could choose to walk it or not. And so I chose to walk it. And I've never regretted that choice. That's that's awesome. It's beautiful. And I, I didn't want to ask the question in a way that painted it as if I... I see everybody being simple. I, I get the fact that when we look at ourselves, we see complexity. But a lot of times, like you mentioned, when we see other people, in the, whether it be in a comment uh, to an article or how we we paint somebody, we tend to try to split people into simple explanations. But I loved your answer, the fact that you come into the church later on, that it's not by your choice, that essentially when you did become converted later on in life, it, it really was an active agency uh, an act of your own will. Uh, and it, I think that's important. We sometimes see, you know, eight-year-old kids getting baptized, and even some eight-year-olds don't really have a clue exactly what they're getting into. In fact, I mean, let's be honest, most eight-year-olds don't have a clue what, what they're in for at that at that age. And it's quite a step. Um, this interview is taking place, obviously, a couple of days after conference, but the people listening to it won't know that because this is going to release in about five weeks. But having just uh, experienced the October session of General Conference, any thoughts from you on... Uh, on conference uh, in relation to things you got out of it? Oh, I think probably the, the greatest talk was the first uh, talk given by uh, President Uchtdorf. Um, I, the background for this is that I had written an article for Square Two a couple of years ago uh, in which I looked at the um, at the statement that had been put out by the church, uh, and it, it hadn't really gone unnoticed, I think, by most of the membership. And the statement was actually, how do you tell the difference between Mormon doctrine and stuff that was taught in the church but is not doctrinal? Um, and I viewed that as just a magnificent statement because I had come to um, the same conclusion through my studies of LDS doctrine concerning women. And that conclusion was that a lot of what was taught in the early church is just plain false, right? It's just plain wrong. Right. And... Um, and yet, I had never really seen the church sort of come out and say that. Well, this this uh, statement of uh, the 4th of May, I think it was 2009, I want to say, um, did just that. And and I think the impetus for that was the um, was the presidential campaign um, back then, where people were asking weird questions. So you guys believe in blood atonement, right? And you believe that Heavenly Father had sex with Mary, right? And didn't Brigham Young say all of that? And, you know, and people were like, well, he said it, but it's not doctrine. <laughs> so 
I think the church came out with a statement that tried to say, look, you know, you're going to see a lot of things penned by Brigham Young that are just not true. And so uh, what was wonderful about President Uchtdorf's talk, this conference, was not only, you know, did he say something like, you know, these teachings, you know, are not doctrinal, which is nice, but, you know, it's kind of euphemistic. I mean, he actually came out and said some of the things were just plain flat out wrong, you know, right. which... <laughs> Is so healing. I mean, one of the most wonderful things about belonging to this church is that we don't have this atavistic, you know, um, philosophy that every last word that, you know, some former prophet said is written in tablets of stone. But some members, I think, especially members who'd grown up in the church, kind of felt that anything that an early prophet had said in in a in a conference meeting or had written in an ensign or whatever was truth, and it's not. And to hear President Uchtdorf actually come out and say, you know, it's wrong, I think is a very healing and I think, you know, to me is further evidence that, you know, this church is, is led by the Holy Spirit. I want, the other question I want to ask, you talk about Elder Uchtdorf's talk in, in his essentially saying that, hey, look, you know, members and leaders have made mistakes. The other talk that I wanted to get your thoughts on, if you had a chance to listen to Elder Holland's talk on depression and Within our faith, there tends to be this idea, and I think there's some statistics to back this up, that sisters within the church struggle on some level with depression. And a lot of that, uh, I think, comes from the idea of thinking there's this bar set and our work's having to, to meet this bar. And, and our lack over the last couple hundred years, um, well, 150 years, of our church really not talking a whole lot about grace up until maybe five years ago. And I wanted to get your thoughts on Elder Holland's talk and how he addressed depression. Well, I thought raising the issue of mental illness itself was very helpful. I I don't know a single family, extended family, that is not touched in some way um, by mental illness. Uh, if you if you made it a challenge to go ask all of your friends about whether there's mental illness in their extended family, you would not find a person who does not have such a situation. And so I think just broaching the subject of mental illness is important. Um, and I, I think, you know, that he didn't, President Holland or Elder Holland, you know, never gives a superficial um, talk. I mean, this talk um, expressed, I think, deep understanding of the complexities of depression and, and also the understanding that you just can't think positively and have it lift. You know, that's not the way it works. And that the gospel is not a, a cure for every ill, right? It is it is our, our strength and our support through through our afflictions. And so I'm very pleased to see that kind of discussion um, being raised at the highest level. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate your commentary. You know, you talk about uh, the idea that sometimes we with with certain issues, whether it's mental illness or depression or other types of things that that we some of us struggle with, there's this idea that you know if you just you know get up and and put your clothes on and get out and take on the day that all will be well. And and yet, as Elder Holland pointed out, and as you remarked, these issues are much more complex than uh, than we sometimes want to think. I know often of people who, when they encounter somebody struggling with these types of things, simply tell them to just get on with it and and figure out how to to be happy and to go about life, but it's just not that simple. That's right. The ordained women movement. I, I can't let you go without at least asking you about it. Your your thoughts on 
all that occurred and, and what people are thinking about and how people are talking about things, you know, last day or so on the blogger knackle, uh, your feelings? Well, I don't live in the blogger knackle. So if you're asking me some kind of specific question about what's going on in the blogger knackle, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm ignorant. Um, I've, I've really never had any desire to live in that world because I think Life is kind of a, a bigger proposition than we make it in our little circles on the internet. Right. And, um, so I'm, I'm just not there. I don't know. Um, one of my students did send me the ordained women website and I have looked at that and I have also seen in the news, you know, a variety of items that have cropped up here and there, um, about the ordained women movement. So I'm not coming from any position of privileged information on it. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly no expert on it. Um, uh, however, I, I think I, I made plain in another Square 2 article, um, which I called Ruby Slippers, is, is that I think it's kind of a, a quizzical stance to suggest that um, women uh, need to be ordained to divine power under the hand of men. Uh, you know, for me, just as an individual, I find that to be the opposite of a feminist stance. Now, on the other hand, I, I absolutely uh, believe that um, the ordained uh, women movement is causing people to think about issues of who is our Heavenly Mother? What is her divine power? What do her daughters wield in terms of divine power and authority on the earth? How can our marriages and how can our councils reflect the divine equality between males and females that we know is expressed by our heavenly parents in their relationship? So insofar as the movement has caused people to begin to ask these questions and ask them in an urgent and even fervent manner, I think that they've made a contribution. I think the, you know, the, um, the issue of ordaining women to me that particular position seems a little quizzical. I appreciate your insight into that. It, it, it's one of these things you just sit back and, and because of doing the podcast and other things, I'm very much kind of keeping an eye on what's going on on the internet. And I, I applaud you for kind of staying away from that. You're, you're a lot smarter than I am because you're right. You can easily get caught up into groups of people thinking things and assuming that that's the majority of people out there. And in reality, life is is not the internet. Um, so I appreciate even the church. Can we be right? right. <laughs> and what's wonderful about teaching at Texas A&M is that I see how many wonderful things and wonderful people and and wonderful plans are are out there in the larger world um, that that are are not part and parcel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, life, the world, God's children, it's just bigger than our life within the church. And so I think we need to live in this larger life, of which the church is a valuable and important part, but it shouldn't be our total life. No, I like that. And the other thing that you kind of are, are speaking to a little bit is the idea that the church has this this Utah culture where because the saints were out there in the, the Wasatch Front and, and essentially the church has been, you know, the institution has operated from that place, a lot of that culture kind of sneaks in. 
And yet, when you start letting people like Elder Uchtdorf into leadership, when the Lord says, okay, we're going to call somebody that's outside of this area into this leadership, it brings in a whole new perspective. And you can kind of see the church as a whole as it becomes more and more of a worldwide institution that we little by little shed some of the cultural issues and, and begin to get down to, to what is doctrine. And I know in the uh, women's panel discussion at the fair conference, there were, I believe, four of you up there, maybe five of you, who were having a conversation and talking about doctrine and culture. And, and maybe just for my listeners, would you mind maybe sharing some thoughts on, on how you perceive we work ourselves through shedding culture and, and getting down to what, what is really doctrine? Well, let's see. Um you know, I think the key, as, as you pointed out, is we have to figure out the difference between doctrine and teaching, and we also need to figure out the difference between doctrine and what may be practiced within any particular ward or stake in the church. Uh, and, uh, you know, wards and stakes have their own flavor. You know, sometimes they get their own way of doing things. And so to the extent that we confuse chapel practice with doctrine or we confuse teachings, non-doctrinal teachings with doctrine, I think we're setting ourselves up for misery and, and woe. Um, and, and, and so I think it's incumbent upon each and every one of us to figure out what the central and unalterable teachings of the church are. And then anything else that's peripheral, right? Peripheral doctrine, uh, you know, like, uh, is the Garden of, was the Garden of Eden located in Jackson County, Missouri? Well, you know, right. that's not asked of you in your Temple Recommend interview, whether you believe the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri. Okay? And so, as far as I'm concerned, that's pretty peripheral. Uh, and I, I think that you can put that to one side. I mean, I really don't think that that's something that you need to worry about. I think also certain practices um, that that may happen in a particular ward or a particular state. Um, to the extent that those practices are not doctrinal, you can set that to one side. If you don't want to agree with it, I don't think you have to agree with it. So I I think what's liberating, what's extremely liberating for an LDS person faced with you know the the, the decades, uh, even now over a century's worth of Mormon Utah Mormon culture is, uh, you know, you've got to distinguish the wheat from the chaff and let the chaff blow away. And I think our general authorities are doing this. I mean, um, last conference having a a woman give an opening prayer and then in another park having her give a closing prayer in general conference. What stronger way did the general authorities have of saying, look, this is chaff, right? If you thought women couldn't, women couldn't pray in conference, you're wrong. Um, and apparently we just hadn't thought about it, but now that we have thought about it, we realize it's wrong. <laughs> and it can go that quickly. You're, you don't have to be bound by it. But That's great. Sometimes go ahead. people do. Sometimes people do choose to be bound by it. I mean, uh, when I was at BYU, I had this, um, this, uh, Amazing young lady. She was a convert to the church, and she had actually converted out here at BYU. And so she and her fiancé, who had helped convert her, um, they went to see the patriarch so she could get her patriarchal blessing. And apparently in her patriarchal blessing, the patriarch went on about how she was going to not only be educated, but she was going to have a career. And through this career, she was going to help build the kingdom of God and, you know, just wonderful stuff. And as they were leaving, he said, well, you know, I guess we can't get married. You're you're not the kind of, of help meet that I need, right? In other words, he didn't want to marry a woman, um, a daughter of God, whom 
uh, God had called to have an education and a career. Why did this young man bind himself? I mean, he was hearing the word of the Lord for his beloved, and instead of rejoicing, he was mourning, and he was deciding that he could not have a relationship with her anymore. I mean, we've enslaved ourselves, you know, to some of these strange old traditions where even the voice of the Lord himself is not enough for us. I I assume, you know, you're talking about church at the at the highest levels is little by little and maybe even in dramatic ways working to, to kind of correct this, to kind of rid ourselves of some of these silly things that have just worked their way in. But at the word level, at times there's still a struggle, as you just pointed out with your story about the patriarchal blessing. And, and maybe we can kind of wrap up this way. I'm assuming you've been in lots of different wards and you're, and you're going back and forth to different schools and things, correct? Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Okay, and in, in your experience in lots of different wards, and I want to kind of finish this maybe focusing on the, the sisters who listen to this podcast who are struggling with with whatever those things are that bother them, uh, whether it be doubts or, or feminist issues and other things that uh, that arise that are on their minds. In the different words that are out there, it becomes apparent uh, that at times there's going to be a little bit of butting of heads or conflict, and and some people really struggle when the woman that the kind of woman that they are doesn't fit into maybe the ward that they're in the expectations of how a, a sister should be if that makes sense i know in my ward i've got a couple of sisters who who are are just different than the rest of the group and for those who struggle with that paradigm who don't want to fit a mold and yet it feels like that's what they're being asked to do any thoughts from you for them <laughs> Um, yeah, I was, I was that woman in my home ward, uh, when I was a professor at BYU. Sure, I was that woman. Um, I'll never forget one Sunday school where I had made some kind of comment and, uh, the teacher was kind of new to the ward and one of the other sisters in the ward said, oh, that's Valerie. She's just different. Uh, you know, trying to explain to the teacher where that, <laughs> my comment had come from. So I know what it like, it feels like to be different, but, uh, you know, President Uchtdorf's talk, I think, said very clearly that the church and the kingdom of God is strengthened by the differences that we have, our different talents, our different backgrounds, you know, our different experiences. Right? This is to, this is a source of strength in which we should rejoice. Right? It is not a source of weakness. Are you going to be pressured to conform? Sure. Will you ever be able to conform enough? No. So why try? Why not just be yourself? I saw a t-shirt once that said, just be yourself, everyone else is taken. And you know, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? God created you to have this life that you have. And so he expects you to shine in that capacity. So, yeah, maybe you might feel a little marginalized or a little ostracized, but... Uh, just be yourself. Just be yourself, and and hopefully your family and you will rejoice in who you are. And even if nobody else in the ward can appreciate you, God appreciates you. Your family appreciates you, and that's got to be what counts to you. You've you've got to not let it get to you. What other people think of you, and and who you should be, will only ever enslave you. Don't. Don't do that to yourself. Excellent. I we'll wrap up with with that being kind of the final question because I I think that answer fits like you say right along with what Elder Uchtdorf has talked about what uh, what really 
if I look back, I remember a time a lot of years ago where Elder Faust made the quote that our strength is in our unity. And I, and I don't want to make this a dichotomy because I think they, they're compatible. But sometimes we hear that message and we think our strength is if we are all the same. But being unified is not necessarily that, right? No, in fact, I would argue that it's only, you know, God and the kingdom of God that appreciates diversity. I think if you looked at the other camp, what we might call the dark side, I think there everybody is conformed to be exactly identical. In other words, to think and feel and do exactly as the Prince of Darkness does. So wherever that strange urge that everybody has to be identical comes from, it's not coming from the good side. That's coming from the dark side. Now, to the extent that Mormon culture has emphasized some kind of conformity on external appearances or or attitudes or whatever, that's not coming from a good place. You know, what uh, President Uchtdorf was saying is a better place. Let's look at the diversity as a strength. Let's celebrate it. Let's rejoice in it. Yes, there's unity of purpose. That purpose is love, right? That's where we're united. We're, We're unified in the virtues. Right To be uh, courageous and true and honest in all of our dealings, that unites. But if I dye my hair pink, it's nobody's business. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't disqualify me for a temple recommend. That's not where unity lies. Unity lies in the heart and the qualities and the virtues that we possess. But but any other kind of unity, pressure for that kind of conformity is, is coming from the dark side. Valerie Hudson, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, to spend with us. Okay, very nice to talk with you, Bill. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy Never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming Good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. From sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer 
Seal it, seal it for thy courts above. 